0: Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Grant us now, we pray, ears to hear, that we might receive your word and that it might grow in us, transform us, that we may be more and more renewed in the likeness of Jesus Christ, the one through whom you have given this law. The one to whom we look for the perfect fulfillment of it, and the one to whom we gather when we are found in disobedience of it. We pray all of this in his strong and mighty name. Amen. As we come to the end of. These 10 weeks in the Ten Commandments, hopefully we have found, whether you have studied these many, many times in your life, or this was the first time slowing down to look at them week by week, hopefully we have found that there is more than meets the eye here, that each commandment gives to us not only a, a negative do not do this, but by implication a positive command, and that each commandment finds itself transformed and transposed in And through the coming of Christ, and hopefully we've seen that even though many of these commandments are just a few words long, there is much to gather from the history of the church and applying to contemporary ethics and controversies, hopefully we have found that there is good reason that we should be a people who study and respect and teach to each other and to our children the Ten Commandments. It's not at all to pat ourselves on the back, but it is true that there are not many churches that spend time to instruct children, let alone to recite in corporate worship the Ten Commandments. And yet, as I said at the outset of these weeks together through the Decalogue, for most of Christian history, the Ten Commandments, along with the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, formed the backbone of Catechesis. That is, this is what the church saw fit to pass on to the next generation. And so, we come here to the 10th commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything That is your neighbor's. Now let's think through that one more time. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Boy, you think to yourself, she sure has a lot of nice stuff. I'm tired of living in this neighborhood. Sure would be nice to have some of the nice things that that couple has. Why isn't my life more like HGTV? Why do we live in such a dump? It's embarrassing. Life must be pretty swell to live in a house like that. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Why did I marry the woman that I did? Or the man that I did? Her husband is always so friendly. He's good with the kids. He helps around the house. Why am I stuck with this husband? There's so many good ones out there. You think, man... His wife is gorgeous. Why hasn't my wife aged quite like that? Wish I could be married to someone like her. Maybe I wish I could be married to her. Boy, my life would be so much easier, so much more fun. I didn't end up with him, her. You shall not covet your neighbor's male servant, his female servant, his ox, or his donkey. You think, my car is a piece of junk. makes more noise than the school bus coming around the block. And all the other families that, that I talk to in our community, they go on these great vacations. They're going to the Grand Canyon or they're going to overseas or to Europe or at least drive down to Disney World. We can barely afford to go to grandma and grandpa's. And I see all my friends and all the promotions they're getting. Why am I stuck in this loser job? I look at my kids and I think, why aren't my kids more like their kids? They don't seem to have any problems. Why are my parents more like their parents? Do you know how much Johnny gets paid to mow the lawn? You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Hmm, If I could only be smart like them, my life would be so much better if I were shaped like her. Why couldn't I get normal parents? How come I can't throw or run or jump like my friends? Why can't I play a musical instrument? Why can't I draw anything? Everything in my life is hard. Everything in their life is easy. Why am I me when I want so much to be them? You ever have any of those thoughts? The Bible speaks against the sin of covetousness in the strongest terms possible. Romans 1. 28 and 29, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, and it goes on and on. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Quite a list, a nasty list. And right in the middle is covetousness. Ephesians 5:3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, there, that covetousness may be in particular the sort of lustful coveting of the flesh, but surely it's striking that Paul mentions sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness as the sort of sins that ought not even to be named among you. There's no hint of them among God's people. Coveting is a serious sin. What exactly is it? Coveting is not the same as desire. The 10th commandment is not prohibiting every sort of longing or want or wish or desire. Jesus knew what it was to be hungry in the wilderness, to want for food, to be thirsty while on the cross and desire something to drink. He wasn't coveting. Jesus was a real human being and he got tired and wanted to sleep and he was thirsty, wanted something to drink. He was hungry, wanted food. Jeremiah Burroughs in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, which I know Bernie referenced a couple of weeks ago in his sermon on contentment, states that proper godliness and contentment is not opposed to a variety of things. He says it's not opposed to a due sense of affliction. It's not opposed to offering a moan or a complaint to God or to our friends, nor is it opposed to seeking for lawful help and endeavoring to be delivered out of affliction. Did you get that? It's a really good book that Burroughs wrote and if you read it, it's typical Puritan. It's, it's searching and it's penetrating and you'll get done reading that little book and you'll feel like, I don't feel like I'm content about anything. And so it's striking that he does give the necessary nuance and qualifications that when we talk about coveting or we talk about the opposite, to be content, he says it doesn't mean that you don't feel affliction as affliction doesn't mean that you never offer a complaint. It doesn't mean that when your friends say, how are you doing? You just have to always say, couldn't be better. Sometimes you say, it's hard to imagine feeling any worse. And it's not opposed to trying to remedy situations. If you're sick, you take medicine. If you're discouraged, you seek help. So what is it? What does it mean to Covet? Well, we see that there is a a good way to desire something and then there is a wrong way to desire something. We see both in Scripture. We see, for example, that to desire children is a good thing. To desire sexual intimacy in marriage is encouraged in Song of Solomon to try to work hard and prepare and try to gain something for yourself. That's not coveting. Proverbs often speak about, well, look to the ant. Don't look to the sluggard. You know, work hard. Be resourceful. And all things being equal, you'll probably do all right in life. So it's not wrong to long for God, to desire more of his spirit. Paul even said in one sense he desired that he could pass on from this life and go to be with Christ. So so don't hear that. Coveting equals desire, that all desire is bad. There's a word for that philosophy. It's called Buddhism. The problem in the Buddhist worldview is that human beings have cravings. They have desires. So in Buddhism, there are four noble truths. One, life is suffering. Two, suffering is caused by craving. Three, nirvana is reached and suffering is ended when we stop craving. And then therefore, number four, the way to this liberation from craving is to follow the noble eightfold path. So that's Buddhism. You suffer because you want things and you're desiring things and you're craving after things. And the way to reach a state of enlightened nirvana is to cut out those sort of cravings, to become at one with your surroundings, to go with the flow, to be at peace with the world around you. You can actually find something more akin to that worldview in all sorts of movies, kids' movies, after-school specials, cartoons, just sort of, you know, just go with the flow, become one with everything. Maybe you could make a movie sort of like that, I don't know, Star Wars or something, and it just sort of all come together. Coveting is not the same as to have desires. That's not Christianity. The Christian problem is that we desire the wrong things, or we desire the right things in the wrong ways, or we desire good things but not the best things. And often the problem in Christianity is not that our desires are too big, but rather they're too small. As you've heard before, the famous line from C.S. Lewis, where he said that we are like children making mud puddles in the streets living in the slums when we don't know anything about a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. Our desires are too small. We want fleeting, worldly pleasures, and we can have massive, eternal satisfaction in God. So if coveting is not the simple existence of desire, what is it? Let me suggest two things. Number one, We covet when we desire what belongs to someone else, when we desire what belongs to someone else. So, it isn't just saying it would be wonderful to have 500 more square feet. That in itself may not be a sinful desire. Um, I said to my wife not too long ago that money can't buy you happiness, but If it buys you some more square feet with seven kids, it can purchase a little sanity. So there's a place for it. You may think, I'd like a better job. Um, I'd like to be married. Or you have all sorts of desires. But the problem is when you want what someone else has and you want to take it and make it your own. So one way of looking at the 10th commandment is to see it as the internalization of the 8th commandment. What is the 8th commandment? You shall not steal. So this is saying, do not steal and do not desire to steal, to take from someone else. Joshua 7.21, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. See, he first coveted and then he went and he took them. James two. you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see, these two sentences are in parallel. Coveting is a desire for someone or something that isn't yours to have. You think of David spying out on his roof, and there he sees Bathsheba bathing, and she's beautiful. And that first instinct in his heart is a, is a coveting. He wants her. And so, since he's the king, he then goes out And he takes her. So coveting is to stealing what lust is to adultery. So, sex in its proper context is a gift from God. Possessions can be considered gifts from God. But sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is unlawful. And so, possessions become unlawful if you take them from someone else. And now, the 10th commandment goes even one step further. Just as lust says, you shall not desire in your passions, in your mind for that other man or woman, gazing, fascinating, cultivating a desire. Likewise, you ought not to have the same fascination, cultivation. Okay, you look at a house, you think, oh, that's a nice house. It's when you begin to romanticize, fantasize. You begin to nurture and cultivate these desires that you want, what someone else has. You ever th- think about, I don't, don't want to get political here, that's the way to make sure everyone all of a sudden looks up and starts paying attention, but you know, you, you could look at this from, from both ends of the spectrum. You could say uh, perhaps a criticism that people might make to, to those on the right is, look, you should be more willing to give up things that you have. Are you just trying to always keep on? Are you just trying to hold tightly to what you have? You ought to be generous and want to freely give it away. And perhaps a critique to those on the left might be, is your whole platform generated by stirring up in people a sense of coveting? Do you see what other people have? People have more than you. You should have more. You should take from them what they have so that it can be yours. Coveting is a violation of the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Coveting is when we only think what is good for us, what we would like, what would make us happy, how our lives would be better regardless of how others are affected. So I want that. So kids, glad there's some kids here. Do you ever feel like you maybe struggle with coveting? You ever go over to another friend's house and they have something that you really wanted and didn't get for Christmas? Do you have siblings in the house? Do they ever get something that you feel is unfair? They got to stay up later. They got dessert and you got none. They got a piece of pie that was this big and yours was just crumbs and little morsels. Ever feel that welling up in your heart? You ever just want to grabs some. I wonder if, I'm sure that we have all the people, you know, we have godly people working in the nursery to prevent this, but I wonder if we could just go and see some of the the beautiful covenant children on any given Sunday, if we might see an expression of violating the Ten Commandment from time to time. Now, we can look and see it easily in kids because you know what? Kids, it's not that kids are more sinful necessarily than adults. It's just that we've been socialized a bit to make our coveting more respectful. And so not many of us just go out and, uh, you know, get somebody's keys out of their coat pocket and go drive the car, take it for ourselves. Not many of us would have the gumption to just, you know, go over a guess and someone says, wow, nice. Want to trade? <laughs> but what do we do? We... We go home and we we talk to our spouse about, boy, did you see that? must be sure nice. And we get up on our high horse about it and we start to sinfully judge or we start to sinfully think in our hearts what, what we'd like and what we'd want. And we don't act out on it. We have all of those desires in our hearts. So we covet, not just we think that would be nice, but we think what they have, I want. Second, we covet when our desire leads to or is an expression of discontentment, discontentment. Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the 10th commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Have you ever envied or grieved the good of your neighbor? You ever sort of reckoned yourself to be the blessing police? Or look over your shoulder and just notice how many blessings some other people, boy, they sure seem blessed. I don't remember what they did to deserve all that. Oh, huh, wow, somebody's got to, how come their kids are so nice? How come their kids don't, how come their husband doesn't fall asleep in church? How come my husband's watching football right now? I don't even have anybody to nudge. How come? We get a sense of discontentment to sort of grumbling. And see, this is where it gets hard. You think, look, I, I I don't mind if everyone has something nice, I just want mine. Or I don't mind if everyone has something poor, I just don't want them to have something nicer. It's a violation of the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. It's also breaking the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because when we become grumblers and moaners and complainers, it is signifying to God and to everyone else with eyes to see that we don't think God is enough. See, isn't it interesting that we end here with the 10th commandment, coveting? Coveting is a fitting summation of the 10 commandments because it is a striking violation of both tables of the law. Have you ever stopped to think that, man, it seems like the 10 commandments maybe end a little anticlimactic. I mean, we start at the beginning with, I'm the Lord, your God brought you out of slavery, out of the house of Egypt. And then commandment number one, no other gods laying down this grand principle of monotheism. And we go through all the commandments and we get to the very last one and it's, eh, don't look at the donkey. You know, why are you, why are you always looking at the ox? Just let, let, let him have an ox, okay? And it seems like, wow, that's a, a bit of a letdown. But of course, they're hitting at the same thing. No other gods, not even your neighbor's donkey. Nothing else to capture the gaze of your heart. This is why Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, The Tenth Commandment is not a kind of lame ending to the otherwise grand principles of moral life. It's actually quite a fitting conclusion to the Ten Commandments. We have moved from outer activity into inner thoughts. We've moved from the realm where if you didn't read the Ten Commandments properly, you could stop and think, you know what, I I think I can do this, right? Don't kill anyone, okay. Don't have sex with anyone besides a spouse, okay, okay. Don't go and steal anything. All right, I'm tracking with this. Try not to say any swear words. You know, don't have statues. Now, we've seen that the Ten Commandments are, are more than that, and Jesus certainly penetrates the commandment to our hearts. But if we just stopped right there, we just looked at it on face value, you could be tempted to think for a moment, yeah, I can do this. Until you get to the tenth Commandment. And now you go from, quote, unquote, possible to clearly impossible. No one makes it through life free from coveting. If you look at other law codes in the ancient world, you you find some parallels to what we have in the Ten Commandments. There There are other law codes that forbid murder or stealing, but there are no parallels to this Tenth Commandment, a commitment to guard your heart against discontentment. So, the 10th commandment makes explicit what the others imply, namely that obedience is a matter not just of perfunctory obligation, but a matter of the heart. So, how do you know if you are coveting? What are some of the outward manifestations of this inward condition of the heart? Let me just suggest a few as we close. First, so you may be coveting if... You have hurt others in order to get more for yourself. You've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. You've left in your wake a trail of tears. James 5.5, 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now, the context there is this quintessential example of social injustice that you have employers who are cheating their employees out of their due wages and they would have no recourse otherwise. This is like the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. You know, the, 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 the landowner comes out and he says, all right, who wants to come work in my vineyard? And they come and they work and then they get paid at the end of the day. You get paid after you've done the work and what would happen all the time is the landowner would say, oh, you know what? Oh boy, um, I, I guess I don't have the denarius today. Or, you know what, I don't think your work was satisfactory. Come back tomorrow and I'll pay you. And in this way, the employees would be cheated out of their wages. That was the quintessential example of social injustice. And James condemns it in the strongest terms possible. He says, you've fattened your heart. Yes, you've, you've become fat. You've become prosperous. But only to fatten you up for the day of slaughter when God comes to judge you. Because you have gotten rich off of the pain Of other people? Do any of us have a do whatever it takes to get ahead attitude? Psalm 102 In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor, let them be caught in their schemes. Proverbs 28 25 A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Do you find that your relationships are increasingly marked by? Strife by anger by contention. Do you ever sit and you think, you know, all of my all of my relationships are loaded with strife. Well, you know what? What is the one constant in all of your relationships with other people? You. So just something to think about. Maybe, maybe it's because you're coveting. Maybe it's because, as James forces, you want and you do not have, and that desire is stirring up constant strife. So you may be coveting if you've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. Second, you may be coveting if you are preoccupied with making money and accumulating possessions. Matthew 13 speaks of the deceitfulness of riches and the worry of life that choke out the word. Remember, that's the word that's sown along in the, the, the thorns and at first it grows and it looks like, yes, the seed of God's word is taking root. We're having fruit and then it gets choked out. By what? The deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life. The oftentimes, you know, you know what robs the word of its power in our lives? It, it, it's, it's the stuff. And it's not just that, well, you possess stuff. It's all of the time and worry it takes to take care of the stuff. You, you, can, you can have a, a boat. You can have a cottage. You can have a second home. You, you can have these things as a Christian. Some of you do, and you, and you use them to good effect. You use them for really God glorifying recuperation. You use them to be hospitable to others. But we also have to be careful. We gain more, more, more. What what, what does what does that require of us? More time, more energy. Suddenly we're we're at church two times out of a month. We're sort of floating away. We're we're not joining with God's people in worship, we're over here, that, that's, that's the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life, just all the, the stuff and energy it takes to have all of our stuff. One of the very few people on the planet who's, in the, especially in the, the history of the planet, whose who's major occupation in life is, how do we get rid of stuff? We have too much stuff. So we're constantly thinking, well, we've got to throw more stuff away. Just accumulation. Luke 12, Jesus warns against that, that rich fool who, whose life is to store up for himself and build bigger barns. Now, Jesus doesn't say necessarily that, okay, you have a big barn, you're evil. What he says is don't be a fool. Don't think that life consists in the abundance of your possessions. He says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus isn't trying to make that man miserable. He's trying to make him happy. And he says, you think that this will make you happy. It won't. You can't take it with you. It's easy to become preoccupied with making money, accumulating possessions. And many, many of us live and Myself included, very nice homes, We live in a very nice part of Charlotte. Charlotte has many nice parts. The first time that we were driving around visiting, so, you know, every, almost every city has nice parts, but just say, there's another one and another one and another one and another one. And here in this triangle here, it's just sort of everywhere. Hey, man, where does everybody here make money? But we have it. And we can give thanks to God for it, and we can be generous with it. We can be hospitable with it. That's what we ought to do. That's what I hope m- most of us are doing. But sometimes we can sort of fool ourselves, and we can think that what we live in is normal. It's not normal. It's not. It's not normal for most of the city. It's not normal for vast swaths of the country, it's certainly not normal for how most, the vast majority, 99.9% of people have lived throughout human history. Now, is that to make you go and leave and hang your head and say, I knew we shouldn't have gotten two cars or I knew we shouldn't have an all-brick exterior on our home? Well, that's, that's not going to last. You're going to feel bad and then you're not, nothing's going to, no. What, what it's meant to do is open your eyes and my eyes. To see there are dangers for us and perhaps in this part of the country and the city more than for other people, dangers that we begin to think that this is sort of just what we're owed in life and this is just sort of normal, that there isn't a corresponding call from the Lord to be generous with all that He's given to us. Or because we can look around and there's, there's always another neighborhood that's nicer and there's somebody else who's getting ahead and getting more and more and more, we can think that Our life really does consist in the abundance of our possessions. Three, you might be coveting if you are unwilling to give up what you have. You remember, of course, the story with the the rich young man in the Gospels? And he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And then he says, which ones? And you remember what Jesus says? Quote, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor. Okay, that's what Jesus says. And the man says, sweet, I've kept all of those. Now, he's deluded with his own ability to keep the commandments, but he thinks, yes, I've kept them. But I'm sure you've noticed before that there's one commandment in the second table of the law that Jesus failed to mention in that list to the rich young man. And he did not mention the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. You don't want to get in an argument with Jesus. He is going to trick you up. Because just when the man is saying, I have kept all of those commandments, Jesus comes at the 10th commandment by the back door and he says, okay, i got just one more thing for you. Sounds good. Just one more thing. Um, why don't you give away what you have to the poor? And he walked away very sad and Jesus says, it's easier for... Uh, camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter, it's a a hard thing. I've kept all of these, but he loved his stuff more than he loved God. I love the imagery of uh, just letting our money and possessions slip through our fingers. You know, that's, so God's poured out so many blessings upon so many of us and, and many of those are material blessings. And we open our hands and we receive them, but but the image is, you know, keep 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 your fingers open. Keep 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 a little a little hole there in your hand, so the blessings come down, and, and you're not hoarding them. You're not keeping them all. You're you're letting them flow through. You're letting them go to others, rather than the image that's, you know, you ever see those game shows where they put some some guy in a in a in a a glass booth, and they have like. Bills floating around, he has to see how many he can grab in a minute. And it's just mm, mm. that's what some of us are like in life. Just mm, I gotta grab more of this stuff. Just open hands, not clenched fists. You give away generosity. Fourth, you might be coveting if you frequently grumble about your house, your spouse, your mouse, your I couldn't get any more rhymes, but your house, your spouse. Dr. Seuss would, the quality or the quantity of your possessions or just the general state of your life. Now, here again, remember what Jeremiah Burroughs said? There's certainly a place for a moan, for a complaint, for a lament, for a God I'm hurting right now. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about day in and day out. We're like the Israelites, grumbling, complaining, want to go back to Egypt. Let me ask you the question this way. Are you always focused on the next thing? You you always need to get the next thing? You think happiness is one more Amazon Prime purchase away? You think that it's always one more home renovation away? It's always one more vacation? It's always one more car? It's always one more something? One more outfit? One more pair of shoes? It's always just one more haircut? It's always one more something away? Are always looking at some other time of life? I wish I were younger. I wish I were older. I wish I were retired. I wish I were working. I wish I had more kids, fewer kids, peace, quiet, more to do. Happiness is always somewhere. It's, it's behind or it's ahead, but it's never here. One of the things that I, I, I always try to pray for when I do a, a wedding is I pray that the couple would have that rare gift to take joy in the moment they are in right there, because that's so hard for us to do. This moment right now is good, because, you know, when you get married, you're, you're always you're always looking forward to the next thing. You're always, I wish I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then I wish we could get engaged, and then it's, I wish the wedding was here, and then it's, I wish the reception was here, and then it's, I wish the honeymoon were here, and it's always, the next thing is right over there. And so I find myself praying for those couples, Would, God, help them to know right here, this moment is a gift. This moment is good. This moment has grace from your hand. Contentment and covetousness are opposites. Covetousness says, I need that. I won't be happy without it. Is it fair that I don't have it and I want that more than anything else? Contentment says, I have what I need. I'm happy in the Lord. He is good to all. And I want him more than anything. First Timothy 6.6, six, godliness with contentment is great gain. So you see how this is not ultimately just about money. It's about idolatry. It's about what do we love? What are we chasing? What are you thinking about when you are free to think about whatever you can think about? Where, what does your mind drift to when you're, when you're in the shower, when you're, you're folding laundry, when you're on your way to work? What is the one thing you think you need more of to make you happy? What is the fill in the blank in your life? If I only had blank, I'd be happy. That blank is probably your God. If I only had a certain time in my race, if I only had this other person's attention, if I only had this kind of family, this kind of job. That, that, that blank is what we worship. When we covet, we believe a lie, a lie about who God is and about how He loves us. And we must fight this temptation with faith. We must remember how the story ends and we must remember that God is with us now. So remember how the story ends later Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It's not going to work. Psalm 73, Asaph was envious of the arrogant. His foot had almost slipped until he went into the sanctuary of God and he discerned their end. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So we need to keep in mind the ending that is coming, the ending of for the wicked who pursue their unrighteous wealth, and then the ending for the humble poor who believe. And then finally, we must remember not only the ending of the story, but we must remember who is with us right now. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know. How to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So you believe what the ending is later, and you believe in the one who is with you right now. I have a God who loves me. I have a God who wants what is best for me. I have a God who wants to take care of me. I have God's Son at His right hand who can sympathize with me in my weaknesses and ever lives to intercede on my behalf. I have Him with me and I have Him with me to assure me of the great inheritance that is coming for me. Not your best life now, your best life later. That's the biblical message. How do we begin to make progress in obeying the Ten Commandments? We make progress by turning to Christ, that is, God with us, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So that Christ tells us what is truth, he is the way to be forgiven when we disobey it, and then his commands lead to life. Surely, throughout these Ten Commandments, we have thought often to ourselves, well, God, help me, I am not doing this and that is the right response. But then you don't stay there. You don't stay there and just look at yourself and wallow in yourself and say, wasn't that good to go through the Ten Commandments? Be reminded week after week how we fail. Then run to the cross, flee to the cross, both to find forgiveness for our sins and to find from God new power because he sends the Holy Spirit with power not only to break us free from the penalty of sin but from the power of sin. We will not obey these commandments perfectly on this side of heaven, but God nevertheless calls us to obey them truly, that we might learn indeed what is abundant life. It's life in Christ according to His will, according to His commands. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the ending of the story, the blessed assurance that we have only in Christ we are too often tempted to find our assurance in other things, in the savings accounts, in the stock market, the insurance policies we have for ourselves, and the equity we've built up in our home. But truly, Lord, there is no assurance except in the promises of the gospel. Make us gospel people, faithful people, believing people, contented people that we might experience that godliness with contentment that is great gain. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.